In all of our studies in Philippians, uh, they all have been involving and revolving around joy. And uh, in chapter 1, if you guys got found the little note outline too, it might help you too. Um, good job. Um, chapter 1 deals with joy in suffering. Chapter 2 has been dealing with joy in serving. And today we're going to look at the beginning of joy in believing. Chapter 4 is talking about joy in giving. And we learned last time that our joy as a church is not based on uh, our circumstances, but rather our joy is based on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, right? And, and uh, in Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, you, show, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so, um, man, truly with the Lord, our joy is full. We don't need anything else to, you know, substitute uh, for Christ there. He's enough. So chapter 3, again, like I said, is all about joy in believing. And all of chapter 3 involves the fact uh, that we have joy in believing that our righteousness does not come from works, but our righteousness comes uh, by the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Um, so let's go ahead and look at the first uh, 11 verses And then we'll just jump back over and go verse by verse through there. It says in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 3, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, who work. Uh, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And though I also might have confidence in the flesh, Paul says, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the right, uh, the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You guys ready? Oh man, that's a lot of stuff right there. Um, So, This section deals with joy and believing again. So if you're taking notes, we're going to look at two major things. Number one is uh, righteousness by works. That's going to be in verses 1 through 6. And then we're going to look at righteousness by faith in verses 7 through 11. Uh, So let's look at uh, really three things to note about the first section, about uh, um, righteousness by works. And uh, look at verse 1 again. It says, Finally, my brethren... And, and here we see the care Paul has here in verse 1, the care that Paul has. And he says, finally, my brethren, obviously like any good preacher, he goes on another two chapters, right? <laughs> Who does that, right? P.S. at the end of the letter, <laughs> another two chapters, another two pages. Uh, well, Paul does. But he said, rejoice in the Lord. And the idea here in dealing with righteousness by faith it becomes pretty significant. Uh, we rejoice in the Lord. We do not rejoice in, you know, our church attendance. We don't rejoice in our good works. We don't rejoice in uh, other things. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. And Paul, uh, he's going to stress this again in chapter 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And, and if you go to verse 1, look at the middle of verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. And here, Paul is demonstrating the care for them by writing the same thing to them. And Paul cares so much about the church that 
he's willing to tell them the same thing over and over, even though, you know, they might be thinking elsewise, whatever else it might be, but he's, he's, he says it's safe. It's safe. Some, we, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the word, and, and sometimes you might hear the same thing over and over and over, but it's a, it's a good, it's safe, it's healthy, it's a wonderful thing. Um, so the issue of righteousness becomes a very critical issue, by the way, because a lot of people today, they think they're righteous based on their good works, based on what they do and, 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 or don't do based on their, their good works. So, but clearly righteousness is based on our faith in Christ Jesus. And you know, oftentimes we go through, uh, like I said, the scriptures and, and when you come across the same kind of thing, uh, and I noticed just reading through this passage that it's just, it, you know, there's righteousness, there's good works and there's, you know, we're, we're, we're saved by faith, basically, and, and there's a whole bunch of stuff here, actually. But uh, as you read through Philippians itself, it, it kind of is repetitive, in a sense, as you're reading through it. And, uh, and I think those are the times where you just got to stop and be like, you know, I got I to gotta actually consider what this is saying to me right now. Because if God is repeating it over and over, I think it's important. I think it's something he wants us to know about. So it's very safe, according to verse 1. Uh, it's safe to know that we're, we are... Not made righteous by our good works, but we're made righteous by our faith in Christ Jesus alone upon the cross. Amen? Amen. And that, that's what separates us, biblical Christianity, from every other single religion out there in the world. Because uh, every religion in the world, there's works-based, right? You do this to get this, and, or you do this to achieve this, or you get here to get there. And uh, biblical Christianity is simply... Our faith is based on the finished work of Christ Jesus on the cross and his bloodshed. Uh, Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. And so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Notice it's in him, though, that we receive all of this, and it's, it's his blessing. And by the way, just to take a little pause, I know I'm just anxious to, to just pour it all out to you guys. Um, so I know i got to slow down. I've heard it from a lot of people, so don't worry. I know it already. But um, take, take heed to, to the teaching, though, about the idea of you being righteous in God's eyes based on God's work compared to you being righteous based on your good works or, you know, by by taking part in certain things or not taking part in certain things. Because it, this is kind of a, a life breaker. There's a lot of Christians today that, uh, man, they live all their life thinking that they can try to achieve something for God. And, and yet at the end of their life, they regret it. And they're like, wow, I could have lived life. <laughs> Instead, I was so bound to the law and I was bound to this or that. And, and, and I, I could have been breathing the whole time and, and I didn't. And, and so I pray that you guys would really just take heed to, uh, to this. It sounds very redundant at times, right? Cause I'm going to encourage you on purpose about the good works, you know, and, and our righteousness. Uh, but just take heed to it. Um, let's look at the second thing here is the contrast Paul gives. Look at verse 2 and 3. It says, beware of dogs. Uh, it says, beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation or the demands, right? For we uh, are the circumcision who worship God in this in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, have no confidence in the flesh. Don't settle, have a settled uh, persuasion regarding something. Uh, so the contrast is between the false worshipers here in verse uh, 2 uh, to the true worshipers in verse 3. And so in verse 2, dealing with the false worshiper, uh, Paul gives three uh, things that characterize them, three attributes, if you will, of these false worshipers. Uh, and and, and he, look at verse 2. He likens them to dogs, to dogs, right? That word dog is only used five times in the New Testament. And it speaks of a wild dog, one, uh, a dog that runs in the wild, kind of like the dogs in, in Israel. They're just wild, they're vicious, they're dangerous. You don't want to go up and be like, hey, puppy, right? Uh, these dogs are going to bite you. Um, I, uh, well, 
yeah. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I was at someone's place one time in, uh, in California, and I wanted to give this guy the gospel. There was a, a, one of my buddies was trying to give him the gospel, and the guy's just so hard-hearted. And, and I was like, how about this? I'll go with you, and, and, and it won't be awkward, because I'll say, hey, let's, let me you know, clean up your yard for you for free. And who's not going to accept that, right? And so we told him, and he's all, well, sure, yeah, come on in. And he had two big Rottweiler dogs. And for a whole hour, I kid you not, cleaning up, cleaned up his yard. I'm sweating like crazy. And he's all, why don't you take a break? And, and the moment, you know, because I'm there to give him the gospel. I could care less about his yard. And, and, uh, but I'm playing with the dogs the whole time, right? And they're, they're great dogs. And, you know, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, the owner's like, what, three, four feet away from me. And, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, I'm talking to him. So you go to church, you know, so, you know, what, what do you, where, where do you stand on your relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the Lord? And I'm asking him some questions. All of a sudden, the dog's in the middle of us. There's two of them, big muscle, you know. Um, I'm not exaggerating, by the way. I know they're always a the little chihuahua, but this was a real Rottweiler dogs, right? They're big ones. And, um, all of a sudden, he turned around, and he looked at me, and he jumped straight at me like I was Satan or somebody, straight in my face, right? All I see is teeth, and so obviously, the first thing I do is, like, I cover my face, and he bit me on my, you know, my elbow, and he wouldn't let go, and, and it, was, it was just, it was crazy. So I learned, I learned, my brother was there with me, so he ended up grabbing him, and I took off, and it, it was horrible. I got the scars to look at it, so now I'm cautious when I come around dogs, Right? Um, in fact, we should get, uh, you know, if you guys see those beware of dogs signs, we should get one of those, meaning beware of those false teachers, right? <laughs> those dogs, right, in that sense. Um, ugh, I don't know where it was. Okay, but hmm, let's go to the next one. False worshipers are likened uh, to evil workers as well. Secondly, uh, notice in verse 2 in the middle, in the context, it deals with the people that were teaching that righteousness comes by good works and not by faith. And Paul calls them evil workers. There are many mainstream uh, denominations today uh, that teach this very thing. Paul says it's evil. It's evil. They go against the gospel of grace. And he was speaking to the Jews because that's what they are. They, they go against the gospel of grace. And they're all about going back to the law. And you hear about the Judaizers, and we're going to mention them in a little bit, on how they, that's, that's, that's the goal, is to convert those Christians back to the law and, and bring them back into subjection under the law and, and thus, uh, really, what was the cross for then? It was in vain that Christ died if if you can go back to the law and achieve some type of righteousness in and of your own strength and in and of your own flesh, right? And it doesn't make sense. So uh, third attribute that characterizes these false worshipers is mutilation. And, and according to verse 2, it says, Beware of the mutilation. And that word... Uh, I won't pronounce it, but it's only used here in the New Testament. Paul is drawing a powerful point in the same breath. In verse 3, he mentions circumcision. And, and it's interesting, Paul's using a play on words here because mutilation in the Greek literally means to cut off. Right? And circumcision means to cut around. And, and I won't go into details. Right? Alright, thanks. Alright. The point is, no matter what extreme measures we might, you know, take externally to become righteous, uh, we never will. We can't. We, it doesn't matter how much things you try to do in and of yourself, no matter how much you, uh, uh, discipline your body, no matter, you know, you can never become righteous in and of yourself. And I feel sorry, by the way, for the, the Buddhists and, and other cultures and religions out there that try to, you know, out there in the mountains for days and months and years all of their life, and they, they just try to, you know, put out everything from their mind throughout the entire day, and then they, you know, try to discipline their mind, and, and, and yet at the end, it, it gained them not even 1% of righteousness, you know, and, and thus you could have been living your life. You could have had your family and been spending time with your kids. And, you know, there's so much stuff to what God's given us. And, and, uh, and if you get caught up in this rut of trying to be something for God, 
Uh, I know it sounds silly, but there's people today that are doing it all over the place. It's like an epidemic. It's going crazy. And so we're trying to stop it, right? Um, but but it, we cannot become righteous in and of ourselves. Do you guys get that? Are we, are we good? Yeah, we can't do that. It's, it's just, uh, it's got to be in Christ. It's, it's him who imputes his righteousness to our account. Um, isn't that cool when somebody transfers money into your bank account and you're like, wow, look at that. That's pretty cool, right? Direct deposit. Uh, but that's what Christ has done to your account. When you get to heaven and all the books that have been written about you, about your motive and, and the reason why you did what you did, um, and it's it's all there. Um, and, and then they look at your account and it just says righteous, right? And Jesus sees himself uh, clothe his robe of righteousness clothed around you and thus you are made righteous because of him and that's why he's satisfied when he looks at you because you're forgiven and he knows exactly what he's done it's not like you're deceiving him by any means right he he has planned the cross from day one the moment he made adam and eve he knew exactly what he was doing so um it's it's just a it's a it's a love story right it's a story of redemption from genesis to revelation and let's look at the second contrast here paul deals with true worshipers notice in verse three he says for we are the circumcision who worship god in the spirit Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. You know, in verse 3, there, there's three attributes that characterize them. Uh, number one, they worship God in the spirit, according to verse 3 in the beginning. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. So back in John chapter 4, you guys remember Jesus is with the woman at the well. And, and he tells her in John four twenty three, he says, But the hour is coming and now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in the flesh. Yeah, yeah. Where's the Bereans? Is there any Bereans willing to correct the pastor here? No. In in what? In spirit and truth. And in truth. So Paul carries this idea to the church of Philippi. It's the same thing um, in, in telling them that worshiping God is not about the exter- external right uh, action. It's about rather the internal action. It's about the heart. That's all that matters. It's your heart's response to the Lord. God is not looking in the sanctuary during, literally during worship, like music. Um, and, and who's the one doing the rowdiest stuff? You know, wow, look at that guy, you know? It, no, he sees the humble and the contrite heart, the broken heart right there, right? That's just before him and just, you know, Lord, ah, oh, you know, Lord, help there's the guy that walks in and be like, yeah, I, I gave $10,000 to the Lord today. Woo, look at me. Hey, everybody, look at how much I gave. And then there's the little guy that gives about a penny of all he had, right? And he's, he's Lord, I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, I, I just want to worship you, though, Lord. I'm, I'm just, I'm broken, and I just, I love you. And who? Who's worshiping the Lord, you know? Is it the boasting person that wants the fame for man, or is it the, the humble, right? So that's the idea, is, is coming before the Lord like that. And um, it's not about what we do, it's about what is in our heart. So when we worship God, we worship him in his power, in his spirit, by his spirit, and not the power of the flesh. It's not like, Lord, I'm really going to worship you right now. Just hold on. Let me just charge myself up with some caffeine, and let me put on this song really, really loud. Okay, now I can worship you. You know, no, that's just generated flesh weird stuff, right? You, you worship God even when the music's off, right? When the music turns off, it's not like you stopped worshiping God. We are daily living sacrifices holy and acceptable we need to present our bodies unto the lord right in romans 12 and and it's it's by our conversation we're worshiping god right with our, our spouse our kids our our co-workers it's it's through our lifestyle it's through the things we listen to it's the things we watch right i will set no wicked thing before my eyes right nothing evil and it's it's you choosing to be 
consecrated it onto the Lord and saying, Lord, I want to worship you with my life. I want to honor you. I want to give onto you my life daily. And, and talk about an impact that will make, right? When a Christian decides to be radical in that sense for the Lord, imagine the things that God can do with that person. It's pretty amazing. Um, so let's go to the next uh, second thing here is they rejoice in Christ. Look at verse 3. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. And this is the same point he made back in verse 1, that we are to rejoice in the Lord, right? Our rejoicing is not based on our good works. Uh, we don't rejoice in religiosity. We don't rejoice in our church attendance. We don't rejoice in our tithes and offerings. Although those things are great and good, uh, but we don't rejoice in those. We rejoice in who? In the in the Lord, right? And and why? Because only the Lord can make us righteous. Only the Lord can impute his righteousness to us. And it's not based on our good works. Now, now the third attribute is having no confidence in the flesh. According to the end of verse 3, uh, so having no confidence in the flesh. And so our confidence is not about circumcision, whew, Praise the Lord for that, right? It's not about external fleshly actions or any other religious observation, right? Uh, no, our confidence is in, in becoming righteous is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And Paul said in verse 1, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but it's safe. And, and it's safe to hear that our righteousness is not based on good works, but on the personal relationship that we have with Christ Jesus. So uh, in the Muslim faith, by the way, in the Jehovah's Witness faith, in the Mormon faith, um, uh, and wow, a lot of religions that I could think of, they... Uh, all of their gods expect you to perform for them, right, by good works. And so, thus, you got to do this, and in the end, you know, the balances are weighed, here's all your good works, and do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Even though you did all the good works that were expected of you and required of you, guess what? You still have no assurance of salvation. Did you guys know that? Christ Biblical Christianity is the only religion in the, the, religion in the entire world that... You have assurance in your salvation, in your eternal life, in your destiny, being with the Lord now. But when all the other religions, you don't have assurance because guess what? Mormon faith, Jehovah's Witness, uh, Muslim faith, even though you did all the good works, it's still up to Allah, right, or the prophet, uh, whichever religion you're looking at, and they say, hmm, yeah, I know they did all the good works, but, yeah, I don't want them here. Yeah, let, sorry, dude. <laughs> and that's, that's the, did you guys know that? I, I dare you to study the Muslim faith and try to find assurance of eternal life based on, even though you did all your good works, it's still up to them, but not with God, who is the only God, right? Which is good news for us, um, because only with, with God, God gave himself that we might have life. And thus we have eternal life, those who believe in him. When I say believe, by the way, um, was mentioned about 98 times in the New Testament. That word, there's so much to that word. It's just not believing in the existence of God. But if you truly did believe in the existence of God, you're going to repent of your sins. You're going to confess your sins to the Lord. You're going to turn from your wicked ways, your iniquities. And you're going to look to the Lord. You're going to see what the Lord requires of you. And you're going to follow the things that God has called you to do. If you truly believe, then you're going to live. Right? And that life will be abundant in Christ. But if you don't believe, then you're going to be a regular, whatever, religiosity, right? It's the churchgoer that, that rejects Jesus. And you're no different than the world. Uh, but yet you love church. You love Christianity. You love churchianity. Uh, but yet you are far from a relationship with Christ. And, and the thing is, uh, we have assurance of our eternal life with Christ. It's in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, 12, 13. It says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Notice he gave it to us, not we ourselves. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may have, uh, may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe 
in the name of the Son of God. You know, but as you read the Bible, you begin to realize uh, to truly worship God, it has to be a work of the Spirit in your heart and in your life. And, and, uh, and that happens only because of what Christ Jesus did for you and I, right? And, and this is not only, it not only protects you and me, by the way, um, and your heart from receiving glory, because it's his work, right? Like I said, I don't know if you guys remember, if it was your work, what happens? The spotlight's on you when you get to heaven. They're like, wow, how'd you get here? Well, I did this, this, and that. No, but when you get to heaven, the spotlight's on Christ Jesus, and it's because of what he did to get us there, right? And that's why we're on our face like, whoa, talk about grace, right? Mercy, Wow, talk about a loving God who's compassionate truly. And, and, uh, man, that's my attitude. Lord, are you really, are you sure you want me to go to heaven? Do you know who I am? <laughs> oh, man, you do. Okay. And that's a killer. So, um, it's not rejoicing in our own performance, right? Because we didn't do anything. He did it all on the cross. To Telestai, he said, it's finished. It's done. And, and, but, it, but it helps you and I to not put our confidence in the flesh, but rather put our confidence in the Spirit, in Christ Jesus. So Paul tells us in Galatians 6.14, he says, But God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. And so thus, that's why I stressed all that, right? Who are we boasting in? It's in Christ Jesus. Are we boasting in ourselves as if we're something great? No. Right? We're nothing great. And that's why God chose you. <laughs> well, at least that's what you realize when you chose him, right? Lord, I'm nothing, right? You didn't come to him. Lord, I'm something great. You could use me and your army. I mean, look at me. Look, look at all the things I can offer you, Lord. So, so here's what I expect from you, God. I need you to do this, this, this. Whoa, right? Watch out. Some people do that, and you got to be careful. Okay, so we looked at the care that Paul has in verse 1, the contrast that Paul gives in verse 2, and now let's look at the third thing, the confidence Paul had, uh, according to verse 4, 5, and 6. Uh, Paul says, Hey, if you think that you're more righteous because of your good works, well, you should check out my resume because, you know, my good works far outweigh your good works is basically what he's saying right here. And, and so if you think that you're righteous by your good works, check out my good works. And, and so in verses 5 and 6, Paul gives us seven areas he could be righteous if it were possible, right? If that was the idea. And so he's, he's proving the point right here. Notice the first is circumcision. Notice in verse 5, circumcise the eighth day. Now, the covenant of circumcision was given to Abraham and back in Genesis 17. And, but it was not given to Abraham to make him righteous since he was already made righteous two chapters before that. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says, And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Because Abraham believed in God, God accounted it to him as righteous. So when Paul says he was circumcised the eighth day, day, uh, he recognizes that it, this is an ordinance uh, by God. And if anybody has confidence in the flesh, it's Paul. So Paul is aligning himself as a descendant of Abraham and Isaac, not of Ishmael, because Ishmael was circumcised the 13th day, by the way, um, which is a cool little note for you there. Um, circumcision as a religious rite and a, a, a ritual, if you will, was rendered null. It was rendered void at the cross of Jesus Christ. So we no longer have to uh, abide by this law of circumcision. Colossians chapter 2 verse 11 says, In him, that's Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. How? Well, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, it's the circumcision of the heart's that God has performed within your life at the moment of salvation. And, and he's done where he's doing a work, right? We're currently being, we were saved. We're, 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 we're currently being sanctified and we'll be justified when we receive our glorified body. Now let's come to the second thing. 
the stock of Israel, the stock of Israel. Notice in verse 5 in the middle right here of the stock of Israel. Um, by the way, this is where we get our, our word genealogy from. And, and so Paul's genealogical background or his DNA uh, ancestry dot com thing would come back 100% pure Jewish, right? His mom and his dad were pure Israel, uh, Israeli basically. So, uh, and, and that's, that's, he's pure. He's a purebred right here. Uh, third thing here is he is the, of the tribe of Benjamin. Notice in verse five, it says, uh, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. Now this becomes kind of a big deal because Benjamin was the 12th and final son of Jacob, the first king of Israel, King Saul, was of the tribe of Benjamin. And in fact, only the tribe of Benjamin stayed with Rehoboam. Uh, if you guys remember when Solomon, uh, when he died in, in 930 BC, and then the, the kingdom was divided, uh, the, the ten nations went to the north with uh, Jeroboam, and then the two nations uh, on the south, what is it, uh, Judah and Benjamin, they were the faithful ones who stayed. Uh, they uh, were with, who did I say? Jeroboam? Jeroboam. No, Rehoboam. Rehoboam. Yep, there you go. Good job, guys. Wow. Um, so, uh, let's come to the fourth thing. He is the Hebrew of Hebrews. Notice in verse 5, the Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, this is different from being of the stock of Israel. Being a Hebrew of the Hebrews means that he didn't fall into the Grecian culture. He didn't follow their ways. He, in other words, we would say he's, he didn't become Hellenistic. Uh, he didn't uh, adapt a, a, to their way of doing things and how they did things. He, so um, the indication here is Paul, uh, he, he didn't, he wasn't a, a Hellenistic person, right? He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, fifthly, uh, concerning the law of Pharisee. Notice in verse 5, concerning the law of Pharisee. He had confidence in his Pharisee background here. And and the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in angels. Uh, they believed in the coming of the Messiah. Um, in the Tanakh, the, the, well, the entire Old Testament, right? Uh, the law, they got the writings, you got the prophets. Um, but the Sadducees, according to Acts chapter 28, uh, or I'm sorry, verse 23, verse 8 and on, uh, they did not. In fact, they believed in the first five books, the Pentateuch, or the, the, the first five uh, books of Moses, we would say. And so, very, very interesting there. Or not, I don't know. Uh, the sixth thing here is Paul had confidence in the persecution of the church. Notice in verse 6, concerning zeal, persecution of the church. Guys, did Paul really persecute the church? Yeah, he did. Acts, Acts chapter 9, verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So it goes on. But yeah, he definitely persecuted the church. In Acts chapter 22, verse 4, in parallel with you know the, his conversion there of Acts chapter 9, um, he's recounting his conversion and, and what happened. And he says in Acts chapter 22, verse 4, uh, about his road uh, on the road to Damascus, that I persecuted this way, speaking of the Christians, to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. So he didn't care if you're a woman. He was he was, he was brutal, right? He believed what he believed, and he was the he had so much zeal, uh, like it was just it was crazy. He said in Galatians one thirteen, for you have heard of my former conduct. In Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. In fact, uh, we're told in the last verse of Acts chapter 7 that Saul, uh, before he was Paul, actually stood by at the stoning of Stephen, the very first martyr of the church. And, and he was, he was right there. So talk about being zealous for the Lord. This guy had it. Um, the seventh and final thing here is his blamelessness. Notice in verse 7, it says, But when, what things, uh, well, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Uh, so, I'm sorry, at the end of verse 6. And, and then, which the law is righteous, by the way. So, you guys can read Romans 7, uh, all of chapter 7, but verse 12, 13, 14, kind of in that area. But the law is righteous, but 
it, the law can, it shows you that you're not good enough. The law shows you that you need a savior. The law directs you to the savior. And, and so blameless does not mean sinless or perfect. Uh, it carries the idea that no one can lay a charge against Paul's accounts. They, they have nothing to, if somebody does say something about Paul, everybody else just kind of looks at the other person accusing him and be like, dude, Seriously, that's Paul. <laughs> he's he didn't do that. Get out of here. You know that he's you can't you just can't do it. It won't stand. So Paul's saying, according to the law, uh, the laws of Moses, he upheld them externally. Man, he observed the festivals, the feast days. He observed the new moons, the Sabbaths, the offerings, the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, the mill offerings, the sin offerings, the trespass offerings, the heave offering, the wave offering, the drink offering, all the offerings. He observed all of them. And and Paul's saying, I did it all as it pertains to his outward performance. And in verse 4 through 6, we see the confidence that Paul had. And if you think that you're righteous in what you do, are you serious? You guys, you really truly still think you're righteous by your works, right? Uh, Paul would say, look at me. He's he's beyond righteous if that's the case, right? And so so now they're putting their heads down and be like, oh. <laughs> um, now let's come to the, uh, uh, let's look at righteousness by faith. Let's come to the second half here. Righteousness by faith. Paul, before Paul knew Jesus Christ, he had based his relationship on performance, on what he did and, and who he was and how he acted. Um, but when he did meet Jesus Christ, according to uh, Acts chapter 9, uh, Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26, um, the scales from his eyes literally fell off, right? And literally, he can see spiritually. And, and all of a sudden, he began to see like he never saw before. And he began to see what God was actually doing. He realized the glorious truth that righteousness comes by faith. And, and by faith alone, in Christ alone, righteousness um, is not of works of my own, right? It's not of anything that we can do. It's not anything that we can even boast of ourselves. But it's by Christ Jesus alone that he's done it. Um, now, there's two things about righteousness by faith that I want to look at tonight. Uh, the first is the loss Paul had. The loss that Paul had. Look at verse 7 and 8. It says in verse 7, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, as trash, right? That I might gain Christ. And, and so Paul is simply saying all these outward acts, all of my religiosity, all of my uh, observances of the law here is trash. It's nothing. And and in verse 8, Paul says he still count, counts them uh, as loss, uh, all things as loss. In verse 7, he says these things I have counted loss. In other words, it's a, a past tense, right? And indeed, I am continually continuing to count them as loss. And so the loss Paul had involved all of his goods, all of his efforts, all of his performance. And, and Paul said he counted it all as trash, you know, and, and, uh, and trash is, I think that's what a lot of people live for, right? That's all that it is, right? It's all wood to be burnt because the world's going to be first Peter. It says it's all going to be burnt up, right? And some people are living for trash and some people look at other people's trash and they're like, Ooh, that's shiny. That's bigger. That's larger. That's sounds better. That's wow. Look at his trash. And they covet one, one another's trash. And, and, uh, it's just a, it's just a nasty thing to look at when you look at it that way. But uh, notice the second thing is the gain Paul received in verse 8. Uh, everything was trash compared to the prize that he now has. Because he says, yet I counted all as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. And what did he gain? He gained Jesus Christ. And in verse 8 at the end, he says, I suffered the loss of all things. In verse 9, he says, and be found in him. And in verse 10, it says that I may know him. Man, and friends, everything is rubbish, you know, compared to knowing Christ Jesus. All of our religious works, 
It's nothing. It's worthless. If you're trying to attempt anything for the sake of becoming righteous in God's eyes, if you want God to give you a round of applause, right? <laughs> if you want God to pat you on the back, oh, good job, good job, right? Um, I don't know. Do you want God to say thank you? I don't, I don't think God's going to... God, he's in a position of authority. You, you, it's a given. You, you, we serve the Lord and, and we don't look for a reward besides Christ being our reward. If you do look for anything else besides the knowledge of Christ and besides looking to the person of Christ of, of reward wise, you're going to be let down. You're going to be like, oh man, uh, you know, although heaven's a great prize and, you know, your mansion that he's preparing is a great prize and you got a glorified body, you know, that's a great prize. But, but Christ is greater than all those things, right? And don't, don't be careful not to idolize what's to come, but rather give your, give worship onto the Lord, the person, right, of, of who he is. And, and so, anyways, Look at verse, uh, well, I don't know where we are here, but, um, so yeah, the only thing that will be added to your account is the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So how much time do you guys spend with Jesus Christ? How much time are you spending in your devotional life with Christ? How much time are you spending in prayer? How much time are you in the word of God? And then you just stop and then you just don't even talk, just just stop and wait on the Lord and then just talk to the Lord and read the Bible and then talk to the Lord about the, what the word just said. You know, it's beautiful. Those are just, those are the best moments in life right there. And in fact, I know we're American, right? And you guys are probably like, okay, I'm on a schedule here, man. Pick it up a little bit. But man, put Jesus on your schedule. Jesus time. That's what it is, right? Six in the morning, four in the morning, whatever it may be. You got to get up an hour before you got to go. You usually wake up. Then do it. It's worth it, right? Because it's that time spent with the Lord, that quality time, that alone time. Alone time, very important, right? Um, spend that time with the Lord. And it's, oh, I tell you guys what, it's, it's the best. Um, but... Um, but yeah, that's what it's all going to be worth it in the end, right? Is what your heart... Your attitude and your, your, the inward part of you, right? And your response to the Lord. Let's come to the last thing. Well, first of all, it's all about Jesus, right? So it's all about Jesus. I don't know about you guys. You know, if you're here today about receiving and, and just receiving and receiving and receiving and receiving, did you know being a believer is all about giving? And I'm not talking about money, right? But giving. Some people are giving through the gifts that they have. They're helping. They're, they're, they're standing at the door. They're greeting. They're, there's a whole bunch of areas and things that people are constantly giving. But that's us as believers. We gotta constantly be giving out. Lord, I wanna come to church today because I wanna give you my heart. I wanna give you my service. I wanna give you my time. I wanna give you my ears. I wanna give you my attention. Lord, how can I be used by you? Um, how, what can I do? Right? It's not about coming and, and receiving and receiving receiving and receiving and become spiritually, I can't move. <laughs> and God's all, go over there. Oh, I'll be there next week, Lord. Right? No, he wants you to get out there, right? And just, you got to give it out too. It's the same thing. And so um, it's sad, however, that we often focus though instead on our rubbish, right? On our trash. And our focus is no longer on Christ Jesus, but now it's on, ooh, did you see that Ferrari that just drove by? Whoa, right? Or our TVs, Right? Imagine spending more time with your family or spending more time with the Lord than you do watching TV. Some of you are all, I don't got a TV. But you, you get what I'm saying. Um, so on our, our accomplishments, nothing compares to that time spent with the Lord, right? And, and uh, just, it's all about Jesus. So what's involved in knowing Jesus, though? Good question. I'll close with this. Finally, my brethren, right? Like, <laughs> I'll go on another two chapters. But I want to give you guys four things about about Christ, right? Knowing Christ in verses 9 through 11. Uh, number one, it involves the gift of his righteousness. Notice in verse 9. It says, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So righteousness is not based on human performance. Amen? 
Amen. I cannot have a right standing before God by what I do or don't do. It's a right standing before God based on what he did, right? It's the perspective is not on you, it's on him. And and so it's not based on my actions. In Isaiah chapter 64, it says in verse 6 that all our righteousness is like filthy rags to the Lord. That's pretty disgusting. But Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's, it's deceitful. It's, it's ugly. So our righteousness is as beautiful butterflies to the Lord. And you guys are so great. And you guys just need to smile to the Lord every day. And God, well, he's going to bless you. Is that, does that sound right? That kind of sounds like a radio or TV guy in Texas, right? Um, but no, what does the Bible say? Does it say that? No, it said, what, I don't know. Your righteousness is disgusting to the Lord. God is like, <laughs> oh, 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 right? You stink. That's what happens. It's disgusting. So uh, be careful. Um, and, and the Bible says, you know, it, it's knowing the knowledge of Christ, having the excellence of the knowledge of Christ involves the gifts of righteousness, the gift of righteousness. You see, when I confess my sin, when I repented uh, and give my life to Christ, First John 1, 9, uh, it says, you know, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and he's just and, and he'll forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all on righteousness that's your attempts right there all of your attempts have been wiped out they're they're gone it's erased deleted backspace right he cleanses us of all unrighteousness and now i am righteous and isaiah 61 uh, verse 10 it says my soul shall be joyful in my god for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation he has covered me with the robe of righteousness Oh, you guys, whoa, you know, there's certain verses in the Bible where you're just like, you can't even, I can't even give you commentary on that. That's just amazing right there. When you, see, when you look at me, you say, oh, Josh. (laughs) But when he looks at me, he says, oh, Josh, right? Ah, and it's because I'm clothed in his righteousness because of what he's done. If that was because of me, it's like, oh, (laughs) but But how is this possible? When God sees us, he doesn't see us, right? He sees his righteousness of Christ robed on us. And he sees his righteousness imputed to us. And so when he checks our account, he sees our righteousness uh, is, is, is full. It's there. It's enough. It's, he's satisfied. And so, uh, it's Christ Jesus and it's his righteousness and not our own. We are purchased at a price, so it wasn't free, right? This grace is an expensive gift. This is a priceless gift that each and every one of you have been offered. And yet this gift was the requirement. The requirement of your life was blood. It was your death. And yet Christ took your death, your penalty, because of your sin, right? From Adam and Eve all the way from day one. He took that sin upon his own life, right? And and he paid the price for you. So it wasn't just free. Like, you go to the store and they're like, you want a free cookie? There you go. It meant nothing to me. Yay, there you go. It, It meant everything to him. And that's why he gave us the word of God, so that we realize the seriousness of what he did and went through for you and I. And so it was possible because of Christ Jesus, you know, from the the day one right from fall the fall of mankind um he's purchased us back in that sense so note very carefully by the way how we receive this righteousness notice at the end of verse nine or in the middle uh not having my own righteousness which is from the law but here's how he did it but that which is through faith in christ that's why i keep saying it's by faith in christ it's through the cross right that that righteousness which uh which is from god by faith so it's by faith amen Amen. You don't work at it. You don't strive for it. It's a gift. It's been offered to you. And you said, I believe. You said, I'll repent. I'll receive. I'll bring it in. Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live this life that God's given me. And so we do. And, and he delights in me. And I'm thrilled about this. This is, this is good news. Everyone has faith, by the way. 
In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says, As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So the question is, where are you putting your faith? You see, if you're putting your faith in your own righteousness, by your own good works and your own merit, then you have little faith, right? But if you have... You're putting your faith in Christ Jesus and his finished work for you upon the cross and what he's done for you, then you have great faith and you're a faithful man or woman of the Lord. And so, uh, secondly, it involves the power of his resurrection. Notice in verse 10, it says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. But the power of his resurrection, guys, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I are hopeless. We are helpless. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, it says, um, somewhere up there, I'll just read it to you. It says, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Um, you're still dead in your trespasses, right? You're still dead in your sins. And apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if that's the case, then we ought to close up shop, right? Let's all go home. I mean, what, what difference does it make if we serve a God who's dead just like every other religion in the world, right? They're all dead. And if our God never, uh, uh, he's not alive, then what's the use? Right? We're still dead in our sin. We're dead and we're bound to the law. And who wants to be a slave to the law? And so we are actually alive in Christ because he's alive and he rose again the third day. And, and the resurrection is our cornerstone of our faith, but it's also our living hope. In, in the Bible, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, uh, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And notice in verse 11, it says, If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. It speaks of a new life that you and I have today. It speaks of the resurrected life that uh, that uh, Christ has done in you and I Jesus talks about this life, right? The thief doesn't come but to steal, kill, and destroy in John 10, 10. But I have come that they might have life and that more abundantly. You would have life abundantly. And in Ephesians 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 2 Peter 1, 3 says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So we are lacking nothing in this present time in our current state right now. We're victorious as believers, not because of our performance and not because of our own works, but because of Jesus Christ, right? And and the resurrection also guarantees uh, our resurrection when we die. Uh, Look at verse 11 again. Uh, in Philippians 3.11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You and I are guaranteed uh, to be raised from the dead because Christ was raised from the dead. And the resurrection is what separates us from every other religious group in the entire world. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ rose uh, from the grave, that he died and, and, and was buried and rose again, then there's no hope. You have no hope at all. So when will we be resurrected from the dead? That's a good question. At the rapture of the church. By the way, the other day, when was that? Thursday? We were at the state park for Nate and Jessica's wedding. We were trying to prepare, you know, bring stuff there. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I don't know how to do a trumpet sound. But we heard a trumpet sound. It was like, and my wife was like, the rapture. And then my son, Malachi, is like, well, are we going to heaven? <laughs> and I was like, no, nah, it's not the rapture. I was too slow. <laughs> I was waiting for the, this is a test <laughs> by your heavenly father, right? Be ready. But First um, Thessalonians 4.16, it says, uh, For the Lord himself would descend from heaven, uh, with the shouts, with the voice of an archangel or the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58, uh, it's talking about the same thing, that we are going to be caught up with the Lord. You know, I was asked uh, last Thursday in our foundations class, what if I'm cremated? You know, I mean, what if I'm thrown in Israel and the ocean over here and Arizona over there and over here? And well, I mean, well, well, <laughs> you know, that's kind of the question. Also. You know, if God could create us from the dirt, you know, and just poof, and there we were. I'm pretty sure God is God and he can he's powerful. Right. It doesn't matter if you're cremated. Right. What the fire can do in 37 minutes, you know, and that what the grave can do in 37 years, I should say, is what the, the fire does in 37 seconds, right? Um, it, it just, it's no different. Whether you're buried, whether you're cremated, God is able to do whatever he wants to do, because he, he can. Um, but, number three, it involves the fellowship of his sufferings. And I really don't like this verse, by the way. So you guys mind if we skip that? You guys cool with that? I might get in trouble, so I'll go over it. Um, the fellowship of his suffering. Look at verse 10, or 10 again. That I may know him and the power of his re- resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Wow. Amen? You are liars. So the power of his resurrection with the fellowship of his suffering. So turn with me to Philippians 1. Go about a page to the left or two. So what, what does it mean to know Christ, to gain Christ? And it, mean, it means to suffer with Christ. You might be okay with gaining Christ. You know, that's a good part. I'm going to gain Christ. And that's, you know, but that suffering part, oh, right? Realize they go together, though. And and a couple of things you need to realize about the fellowship of his sufferings, it's, it's granted to you. That suffering that Christ went through has been granted to you by God himself. Look at chapter 1, verse 29. It says, for to you it has been granted uh, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his name's sake. So, uh, man, it's your calling. Did you guys know that? In 1 Peter 2.21, it says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Amen? Uh, one thing I know for sure about, you know, our calling is, you know, our calling and our election is sure, but here's a verse that your calling is for sure going to be in suffering. As a believer, you're going to suffer for Christ. Amen? Yeah? Yeah. It turned into the moon. <laughs> Uh, we were promised by Jesus Christ himself. In John 16.33, Jesus said uh, that he's promised us, this is a promise by the Lord, these things that I have I've spoken to you, uh, that in me you may have peace, and in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, he says, but you will have tribulation, right? That's the idea. And so it's a gift, and it's a promise, and it's a calling for you and I as believers. Knowing Christ involves uh, conforming to his death as well. And, and that's what we'll end with right here. Notice at the end of verse 10, uh, go back to Philippians 3. Uh, it says at the very end, being conformed to his death. What, what is involved in the death of Jesus Christ? Well, it was selfless. It was sacrificial. It, Paul lived for Christ because he died to himself. And that's what you and I are to do daily. We need to die to ourselves. And that's the hardest thing, isn't it? I mean, it's hard, right? Um, but when we are being conformed to his death, it means we're dying to our self-centeredness in our own life. You know, the selfishness, the religiosity in our own life. Uh, we're saying everything I can do, everything I have done, everything I am, uh, any attempt at being righteous is rubbish, right? The Irish. The, it's trash. That's what it is. And it's a loss. I count it all as loss for the excellency of Christ Jesus in me, right? And make that declaration today to die to yourself. And I'll leave you guys with this, for real. Uh, Galatians 2.20, it says, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, that I 
uh, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So it's all about Jesus, and the more that we grow in him and know about him, we're naturally going to uh, become more like him. We're going to be his reflection, right, as face-to-face. We will reflect our Savior the more we hang out with him, and we'll find ourselves doing more for Jesus, in Jesus, through Jesus, right? It's all about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, guys. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your word, and I know there's so much here, Lord, and I do ask that you would uh, help us to uh, just keep track of as much, whatever you want us to keep track of, Lord. I pray you would open up our hearts and our minds, uh, really encourage us to take this word back to your word uh, alone in personal study and and uh, really glean from what your word says, Lord. I pray that you would do a, a, just an astonishment before us, Lord. The more uh, the days that we're coming close to you, Lord, these, these end times, uh, Lord, that you would just continue to um, just shock us, Lord, with, with how great you are and, and your love uh, for us and for those around us. I pray that you would break us, Lord, for the world around us, for our, our families, our, our spouses, our uh, friends, Lord, that you would reach them, Lord, and that you would encourage us to be used by you, to be flexible, to be available, uh, Lord, to just speak forth your good news, Lord, that you came to this world, you died, uh, but you rose again, Father, and it's a good message. It's not a bad message, and so I thank you, Father, that you're able to do abundantly uh, more, exceedingly more than we can ask or think, and so we ask that you would do uh, just uh, amazing things, Father, in this church, in this fellowship. Again, we ask that you be with our pastor, uh, that you would be with uh, the group there in Israel. You just go before them and teach them and train them, encourage them, bring them back, Lord, uh, that they might be refreshment to us as well and just telling us about uh, what they saw and went through there. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.